A 59-year-old Georgia woman named Debbie Collier was found deceased in a ravine on Sunday, September 11, 2022. The day before, she was seen on surveillance about an hour and a half away from where she lived, picking up some various supplies from a family dollar store. Only there were numerous stores like that in her own hometown, yet Debbie chose to go there. Those supplies would be later found in a red tote bag, along with her body in the ravine. A cryptic message was sent to Debbie's daughter Amanda while Debbie sat outside of that family dollar store, along with an odd numbered Venmo amount. Amanda had just moved back to Georgia just days before. Now, the events that followed on that Saturday after the family dollar store trip was very odd and a true mystery. What the heck happened to Debbie Collier? We're gonna dive in this video and show the gaps in the timelines and read between the lines of that text. So now, let's get into it. Debbie Collier was 59 years old. She celebrated her birthday just a week before her death and she lived in Athens, Georgia. It's about an hour and a half east of Atlanta. The population of Athens is around 125,000 people. The city is nicknamed the Classic City. It's a college town and is home to the University of Georgia and their football team called the Georgia Bulldogs, who in 2021 won the College Football National Championship. Debbie was last seen on Saturday, September 10th, wearing Georgia Bulldogs gear. Her husband, Steve Collier, was working that day parking cars for the up coming game later that afternoon. Let's take a look at the timeline and we'll start a few days before. On Thursday, September 8th, it said that Debbie's daughter, Amanda Bearden, moved to Georgia from Maryland on that day. Investigators said that Amanda lived in Maryland in an apartment complex with her brother until September 8th when she moved to Georgia. This would be two days before Debbie went missing. Law enforcement said in a press conference. She moved down here on the 8th, which would have been Thursday, September 8th, when she moved down here to Georgia. So we know that she was down here at some point on Thursday. Now, Amanda has a very sordid criminal and violent history, stemming back all the way to 2008 until now. It's said she's been accused of making false claims to police as a victim and also as an alleged aggressor in domestic violence calls. In 2008, Prosecutors dismissed an obstruction charge related to a domestic violence call. In 2012, she had two charges. One was in June and one was in November for allegedly battering a different guy and also for criminal trespassing. She attacked the guy. It was said that they were living together for two months. Also in May of 2021, she was charged with filing a false report of a crime and that was involving her now boyfriend, Andrew. Andrew was charged and he pled guilty to criminal trespassing, battery and property damage, but prosecutors later dropped the case. Initially, officers were gonna charge Andrew with burglary, but the officer caught Amanda lying about the burglary and he said that there wasn't any evidence to support it. There was a note involved as well and Amanda showed the police and she said it was from Andrew and it said, if you or your family ever come near me again, I will hurt them, don't ever contact me again. So in this 2021, he had domestic violence charges, he pled guilty, was in jail for 10 days and also 
got more time on probation. He was on probation already in 2020 for the domestic battery and disorderly conduct he got on, off on probation. But he violated a protection order, but prosecutors dropped the charges and he violated his probation again and then was sent to jail for six days. Then he pled guilty to reckless driving after being arrested on a DUI. And in September of 2021, police was at Amanda's home and Andrew was outside. He said that Amanda was on drugs and he said she was stealing uh, five to $600 from his paychecks weekly. This is an important detail. We'll talk about that more in a minute. So Amanda and Andrew don't have the best of history and they just moved two days before this all went down with Debbie. Now the next day on Friday, September 9th, that's when it was said that Andrew and Amanda had lunch with Debbie. She bought them lunch and by 9 p.m. Debbie's husband Steve Collier said he last saw Debbie at 9 p.m. at home. He said they both sleep separately as he tends to snore. He said he woke up the next morning and he left to go to work and saw that her vehicle was still in the driveway and he assumed that she was sleeping. But there are reports that there was shouting and screaming coming from the house that Friday night from a neighbor. A neighbor said there was commotion at the house. Somebody comes up to visit on the weekends and in the evenings and there's loud screaming and fighting. The neighbor said it was a young woman who was the visitor and she said she also heard screaming and shouting coming from the Collier home frequently. Another neighbor said that Debbie and Steve were reclusive people, didn't really mingle with the other neighbors on the street. The neighbor said, when we get together out here on the block for a cookout, they never participated. They didn't come to no get togethers. He also said that many people around the area didn't even know their names. He said, as far as I can tell, they've lived here a good little while. So Steve goes to bed at nine, they sleep separately, yet neighbors heard screaming. So does Steve sleep that soundly? I mean, it's possible. Or does he know about this fight and what happened? It wasn't revealed in his 911 call. The next morning on Saturday, September 10th, the day that Debbie goes missing, Steve says he leaves to work and he said he saw Debbie's vehicle parked at the house but didn't see Debbie. Debbie had a rental vehicle because she was in an accident the month before. So she was renting a black Pacifica van. And there's video of Debbie's husband parking cars for the Georgia Bulldogs game between 9 and 4 p.m. Now at 2.17 p.m. later that day, cameras captured Debbie and her vehicle heading northbound just over an hour away from where she lives, called Tallulah Falls. Now note, if Debbie left straight from her house and doing the speed limit, that would mean she would have left her home at around 1 p.m. But according to this surveillance picture, she's going 13 miles over the speed limit, traveling at 38 miles per hour, and the speed limit is 25. Now, I'm not sure if she normally speeds, obviously, or if she's in a hurry to get somewhere. But I asked this question to some of my American friends because I wanted to see how much the average driver typically goes over the limit in America. Here in Canada, drivers usually go about 10 kilometers over, which works out to be about six miles, but she's going 13. So give me your input below and let me know, you know, what's it like down there. Now at 2.55 p.m., which is 38 minutes later, Debbie is seen on camera and walks into a family dollar store in Clayton, Georgia. She was described the way she looked was calm and not afraid of anything. However, there is a gap in time 
It's only a 15 minute drive from where the cameras captured Debbie's vehicle on the highway to the family dollar store, which is in the south part of town. Now, if she drove straight there from that 2.17 p.m. mark, then she should have arrived at the dollar store at 2.35. But Debbie went in the store almost 40 minutes later at 2.55. I have an interesting little fact in a moment that has to do with the crime scene, but we'll get there in a minute. But the question is, was she sitting in the parking lot during this time? And if so, how long was she sitting in that parking lot? Did she arrive at 2.35? Or did she stop somewhere before that? Also, why go to the family dollar store in Clayton when there's at least four in Athens? And there's three in the surrounding area, so there's seven. Not to mention, it is a small town in Clayton of only 1,800 people, so the stores tend to be a little bit smaller in a smaller town. It's curious, right? What do you think? So at 3.09 p.m., Debbie's in the store all of 15 minutes. She grabs some items and she goes to pay for them. She buys a seven and a half by nine and a half tarp, a rain poncho, refillable torch lighter, reusable tote bag, and a two roll pack of paper towels. Now I looked up the weather that day because I was curious about the rain poncho, but Clayton only had a little bit rain in the morning and then it didn't seem to be much precipitation. And then the same for Athens, when I look at that, it's a little bit in the morning and then that's kind of it. But I would like to know, maybe you might know this, was Debbie planning on going to the Georgia Bulldogs game that day? If you know that answer, please let me know below. So Debbie leaves that store and then she sits in the parking lot for 10 minutes. Now during this time at 3.17 p.m., Debbie's daughter Amanda receives $2,385 over Venmo from Debbie's account, along with the message, they are not going to let me go love you. There is a key to the house in the blue flower pot by the door. Note, there's no punctuation in the text. Now the payment was made before Debbie left the parking lot, but it was not confirmed yet by authorities if it was sent by Debbie's phone, only that it was Debbie's account. Now in an update by the authorities, there was a question about the money. And the question was, do you know where the money is now? Law enforcement says, no, we don't, for the simple fact that we are still obtaining information. When it was sent, where it was sent, what device it was sent from, we're still trying to obtain that information right now. But let's go back to this wording for a minute. Debbie's daughter gets this text, right? And Debbie has at least one other son that I know of. So I wondered if it was just Amanda that received this text or was her other child or children, if she has any more, get any other, you know, get any last messages, so to speak. I'm thinking not, let me know your thoughts. But the message is odd, right? It's a very specific amount as well, 2,385. But let's talk about the wording first. It's odd if it was Debbie sitting in that parking lot. And the peculiar wording, they, it suggests that Amanda would already know who she's talking about. She types, they won't let me go. Who's they? Not these two people, or there's these strange men or women, nothing to that effect, right? As for the key to the house, well, wouldn't Amanda know or possibly know where the key to the house is, especially if she visited or perhaps potentially visited often? And was it 
in the flower pot by the door. But I did read that authorities said that Amanda was talking to her mom that day, but it didn't mention when. So not sure what kind of conversations that there was, if, you know, much. And it also mentioned that Amanda called Debbie right after she received this message, but she couldn't get through to Debbie. Now let's go to this odd amount because $2,385 is very specific, wouldn't you agree? Did Amanda ask for that money? Was that the amount Debbie only had and she could only afford and gave her what she had? It's very specific. Or one of the questions that came up was, you know, was that a clue, like a pin number or something? Because it's so specific. And so I thought, well, maybe that number is important in, you know, some aspect or some specific reason. But I have another idea on that. And we can talk about that in just a bit later in the video because it's going to make it easier to explain. So her phone was shut off just after this message. And according to the authorities, her last ping came in at that time and then the phone turned off and the phone was pinged two and a half miles from a cell tower in Clayton. So two minutes after this message at 319, Debbie leaves the parking lot and she heads south on the Georgia 15, the main highway heading towards back home. But when I was looking at the CCTV footage of Debbie sitting in the vehicle and driving out of the parking lot, there was something really interesting to me. It's the way she left the parking lot. You can see her just sitting in the vehicle here. They'll zoom up in a minute. My first question was, you know, was she in the driver's seat or was she in the passenger seat? Because it's really hard to tell. And you can see that the back of her van is has tinted windows. So she starts to leave and When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So she starts to leave. You can see her backing up. And then you'll see her just in a moment go into that next aisle. And she'll stop for a second. So instead of hitting that stop sign, she kind of goes, oh, and then she's going to park there for a moment. Then you'll see her there for, I don't know, 10 seconds. You'll see her go again to leave. Now she's heading towards the exit. This isn't that weird to me. What starts to be weird is you'll see her drive out of frame and instead of driving straight and out to the right, she stops and she turns in to that next aisle and then turns out again. That I find peculiar. Let me know your thoughts below. Also, I do notice that that other vehicle left kind of the similar time. I don't know much about that vehicle, if at all, <laughs> but I do find that peculiar. Let me know what your thoughts are below. Now, authorities are asking anyone who may have footage in and around that area to help the authorities so that they can narrow down this timeline. So Debbie heads southbound towards Athens, and it was mentioned in my research 
that Stephen wouldn't have been able to make it, you know, the 120 mile trip, so he has an alibi. Now remember in any kind of investigation like this, they're going to start with the inner circle and then they're going to work their way out. So naturally they're going to take a look at Stephen and they're going to look at other family members. Speaking of Stephen, he gets off work at 4 p.m., which is about 45 minutes after this video from Clayton. And authorities confirmed that he was there parking vehicles from 9 a.m. until 4.06 p.m. Law enforcement said, we have pulled video from Sonovas Bank where he stated that he was working that day being a UGA game. He works for a private company called The Optimist Club that private contracts Sonovas' bank's parking lot to park vehicles for game day. They use the parking lot to provide parking for people coming to the game. We have confirmed he was there from 9 a.m. to 4.06 p.m. And the game did start at 4 p.m. according to the Georgia Dogs website. So at 6 p.m., Stephen calls 911 and reports Debbie missing. He states that he was working till around 4.30 he figures that Debbie was out shopping for food. She usually shops on Saturdays, he said. But he says that she left her purse, credit cards, and driver's license, and no one's seen her that day. Debbie was seen with her purse, and she obviously paid for something. I don't know what she used, you know, credit cards or money or what have you, but she was seen paying for things and she had her purse. And remember, he said he left her at nine the night before, didn't see her in the morning. He assumed she was still sleeping. But I'm curious, what time does Debbie usually sleep until on weekends? He did talk about that Venmo message on the 911 call and he said, that's all it said, they won't let me go. But he did say about Amanda, he said, her daughter came with a strange message and went upstairs to her bedroom to find out her driver's license and credit card is here. She usually shops for food on Saturday and he says she doesn't have money with her to their knowledge and the purse is there. So I do wonder what time did Amanda tell Steve about the text right away? I mean, they called at 6 p.m. and this would be two and a half hours after Debbie sends this text just over. So why the big gap? On the call, Steve does sound like he's in a bit of a panic. He wants the officers to come over. From his perception, it seems like he's thinking something happened near the home. But I'm curious, why didn't Steve get a call from Amanda like, hey, it's 3.20, I'm trying to get a hold of my mom, and I, you know, I can't. I mean, does she know Steve's phone number? This is interesting to me. So there are discrepancies of what Debbie had with her and what is said that she didn't have with her. And Steve came home to find Debbie's daughter in the home. Now, Sunday, September 11th at 12.28 p.m., Officers locate Debbie's rental van on the side of the road, and there were reports that that vehicle was seen the night before at 5 p.m. on the side of the road. What's interesting is the vehicle wasn't found southbound, the vehicle was found northbound. So the authorities go and investigate the area and they find Debbie, and she was partially naked and on her back in a ravine, and it was said that she was grasping a tree. Her stomach was burned and charred. Law enforcement stated further search resulted in locating the body of a female subject down an embankment close to where the bag and tarp were located. Like I said earlier, that tote bag would be found with these items in it. According to the incident report, it says Debbie's purchases were found inside of the red tote at the top of a nearby hill, including her purse and her phone, and reports also say that her phone was smashed. So Debbie's vehicle was going southbound when she left that family dollar store, but the vehicle was found northbound and near the crime scene was a rehab center which 
caught my eye, I'm sure it caught your eye if you're following this case. So I did some searching and found that the rehab center is called Victory Home. It's a rehab for men. And I was curious just how much the program costs, just for fun. And I found the program is, is a six month program and it's $475 per month, which is $28.50, which is interesting, right? I mean, she Venmoed $23.85. Let me know your thoughts below. Now, what was also interesting, and I'm not saying anyone is anything or I'm not pointing any fingers, but just with that amount of money mentioned, it was mentioned before, it just kind of caught my eye, that Debbie's daughter Amanda gets money from her boyfriend, that 500 to 600 or 400 to 500 every check, which is interestingly what the kind of difference is between 2850 and 2385, between four and 500 bucks. It's just curious to me. Let's go back to the text for a minute because maybe the text isn't as sinister as it sounds, that Debbie's typing some scary Venmo message. Maybe it's, they won't let me go, meaning they won't let me go in. They won't let me go, and still they suggesting that Amanda knew who she was talking about, but they won't let me go. It's not a hostage type thing. It's they won't let her go in. I, like, I can't go in. They won't let me go. Love you. So Debbie pays the money to Amanda. As in here, here's the money. They won't let me go. Love you. You know what I mean? Then when it comes to the key, Debbie tells Amanda where there's a spare key because she's still in Clayton an hour and a half away, right? And her daughter could be in Athens. It's possible. Let me know your thoughts about this message because it can kind of be taken two ways. They won't let me go, meaning she's being kid kidnapped, except the authorities said, no, it's not a kidnapping and no, it's not a suicide. And it also would make sense because if Debbie sent it from that parking lot, then she wouldn't have been in a, you know, scary hostage kind of situation when she typed it. Just, they won't let me go. So did, was Debbie trying to pay for something and she couldn't go in somewhere or couldn't do it herself and the person, whoever that money's for, would? Let's chat about this below because this is a head scratcher, right? So three days later on September 14th, after Debbie was found, there was a search warrant executed on Amanda's home where she lives with Andrew. And authorities said that this was a search warrant, you know, one of several in the case. And remember, when you go and get a warrant, you just can't go get a warrant for the heck of it. You have to have just cause. So that's important. Now they have ruled Debbie's case as a homicide. And they said, like I mentioned earlier, it's not a kidnapping, not a suicide. Now on September 27th, it was announced that there was an unfired round found near the crime scene and the police took it in as evidence. There were three 911 calls made, one by Debbie's husband, Stephen Collier, the other one by Amanda Bearden, Debbie's daughter, and one by Debbie's sister. And Stephen called first to report her missing and Amanda did a call uh, to see how she can help in the investigation. And if she had to hire a private investigator, she was audibly upset on the 911 call. And Debbie's sister said that she wanted to contact the authorities because she heard from her niece that Debbie was missing and that she wasn't getting much information from the niece. Now, Amanda made a statement and she said this about Debbie. My mom was my everything. Somebody took my whole world from me. She was a beautiful, kind, giving woman and she didn't deserve any of this. I want justice for my mom. 
She also said, I just want them to rot in hell. It is not going to take my pain away, but I want justice for my mom. Amanda's boyfriend, Andrew, said he had no involvement and neither did Amanda in Debbie's death and that they were scared. They said they've interrogated all of us. The people who are closest to her are kind of looked at as suspects right now. It's weird. I feel like the sheriff's department may have some leads, but they won't tell us anything. We sleep with stuff in front of our front door and our back door because we didn't have anything to do with this. We're a little scared ourselves. No suspects have been named in the case and the family have declined to speak publicly. A friend of Debbie's didn't want to be interviewed, but did say there's a reason we are keeping quiet. What is the one thing in this case that's stumping you the most? Let's have a chit chat below. I'll have the next video right here when it's done so you can take a look at that. Thank you so much for watching. We'll see you soon.